Well, I mean, I'll be honest in that I did it, I would say probably the worst way you could, I think. But at the other end of the day, like I feel really happy with, and just having the chance to work with Angus just makes it all feel like maybe this is how it should be. The truth is I had done the short, and again, I'm a big fan of uh, the, you know, the, the, the format, the short form format. So, you know, the short I had made originally, I had looked like before this one was even, I just like the a short story that could take place in a really short period of time and like how to make that fun and not really like make um, just like a scene from another movie. And that resulted in, I think, a really fun short that people really responded to. But what ended up happening is then when it did well, I went and took a bunch of meetings. And the last thing on earth I wanted to do was make a feature version of it. The short has like a pretty definitive ending for everybody. And it, I didn't want to make the same short and I didn't want to just like take an idea like taffy pull and just try and make it longer. So, you know, I think my knee jerk was, I just didn't know if I wanted to even make it into a feature. And so I kind of took a bunch of meetings that were like a bunch of people wanted to make it into a feature and sort of said no. And that sort of just sort of ground that to a halt. Welcome to First Time Go. I'm Benjamin Ducek. That's Daniel Brown, director of Your Lucky Day, talking about what he did after finishing the well-received short of the same name. When you read about somebody taking 13 years to release a feature from a short, you imagine there to be an endless amount of pitch meetings, this constant struggle to get the film made, some sort of Sisyphean journey. Not for Daniel Brown. Your Lucky Day, first presented as a short in 2010, is scheduled to be released as a feature in November of this year. Seems like things aligned as they should for this to be made. Lotteries increasingly making global news, an emerging star actor ready to shine in Angus Cloud, and an assured director with years of experience thinking about the type of film he wants to make as his debut feature. That too didn't turn out as you might expect. But The End State is a fantastic film. It's a thriller first, and maybe a message film second, but not in a clumsy way as so many are. Through his characters, Daniel asks the audience, what would you do for $156 million? And you'd be hard-pressed not to relate with the people in this film. The film touches gently on religion and the concept of worthiness in regards to wealth. It's philosophical for a thriller. I can't think of a better film experience than having a great time at the theater and then having something to talk about later on. Try to go see this at Alamo Drafthouse when it opens on November 10th. But first, listen to Daniel Brown. From Hawaii to Los Angeles, from saying no to what so many people dream about because it wasn't the right time. What a story he has to tell. This is America. America don't care how you get your money. Just keep thinking about that old question. What would you do if you had a million dollars? Wow. <laughs> You're a winner. <laughs> Fifty-six million. What's your plan? 
I'm not gonna hold you hostage. This secret got a price tag. This could be our chance at a better life. What about the bodies? This is wrong. Nobody ever got rich without doing no crimes. What was that? They don't arrest cop killers, they execute them. Give us the ticket, we'll let you walk away. What do you want us to do? I need you to realize the situation you're in here. The winner always tells the story. Back away, or I will burn this ticket. got the power now. What you want to do about it? Good afternoon, Daniel. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. When I read the story about your lucky day, I was so excited about it. And then when I found out that you've been working on bringing this feature to life for 13 years, I thought, I would love to talk with you for the podcast, and I'm glad that you made the time. I'm interested to know first how you learned to love filmmaking. I think that's probably just my childhood, uh, kind of growing up and loving movies, loving comic books and movies. And, you know, I think it was just like those couple valuable learning experiences where you watch a movie and you feel like you're kind of a different person afterwards. And that sort of was something I really loved. Maybe also my parents were real strict about what we could watch when I was growing up as well, just in terms of viewing hours. It was PBS or movies. We weren't allowed to watch uh, endless TV. So just sort of kind of falling in love with the form. Uh, I think that's where it kind of comes from. Was there a certain film that you remember? That- that's a great question. I think maybe, you know, I think maybe I had a really informative weekend at a friend's house in seventh grade where we watched uh, Akira and um, Pulp Fiction back to back. And I think I went home like a different person. And then we suddenly I had this passion for films and movies and my brother's friends had that same thing and we'd go over and we'd watch these indie movies that were coming out on video and just sort of like, I think that video store mentality of like, you'd go into there and there'd be these great movies on the walls and just sort of kind of responding to that. And then, yeah, I think that was probably like where it kind of started and like where I felt like, oh, this is something I really want to do. And then if, I think probably the year 1999, like there was just a bunch of great movies and that sort of felt like afterwards that it was something I just kind of had to do or really wanted to do or try and gear my life towards because there was just a bunch of great movies that year. And like every one of them felt like, oh, I have to do this. That's awesome. And did you side, decide to go to film school? I did. Or well, I went to, I thought it was a film school, but it was more like a video production school. It was there to kind of teach me to do <laughs> news. Um, but I got a scholarship. I was living in Hawaii at the time. And I submitted this like goofy short film I did with my brother, where we were like, I had telekinetic powers. Any, it was a ridiculous thing, but it got me a scholarship and got me out of Hawaii. And then really quickly there, because I had also really loved comic books and stuff, there was, I saw a reel, like a demo reel, or just a reel for uh, this place called Digital Kitchen that was doing main titles. And I felt like at the time, if, you know, 19 years old, I felt like, oh, that could kind of dovetail with what I was doing. They had done the titles for... Six Feet Under, and it had been kind of revolutionary. And 
you know, there's just a bunch of great movies. Again, those early, late 2000s, early, you know, early 2000s, late 90s, there was just a bunch of great movie titles, that kind of thing. And that felt like a, something I felt like I could do and get involved with and sort of just chose it based on that. That's awesome. And then you just kept making shorts and films uh, until 2010 when you made the first short for Your Lucky Day? Yeah, I didn't do many. Like I so I did a short film. I wrote a short film, you know, again, really just being in love with certain types of media. And I tried to do like a live action kind of Looney Tunes thing where there was like a mouse, a CG character and goes, you know, lives in the real world kind of thing. And then I did one other short, which was Your Lucky Day. And then other than that, I was just working in sort of in advertising and doing, I did the main titles for that TV show House. And that was sort of like the big thing I did. And then I just wanted to be a filmmaker and did a short for Your Lucky Day. And then that kind of turned into a commercial career. So I just started directing commercials after that. Like, honestly, the first commercial I ever directed was a lottery commercial, strangely enough. Uh, so it just sort of like dovetailed into doing commercials. And Your Lucky Day, both the short and the film is phenomenal. I was blown away by how it just went way beyond just what you would expect from a thriller. But before we talk about the movie, I wanted to talk about the lead, Angus Cloud. I love the fact that you both took that leap into a feature film together. Can you talk about what that experience was like? Yeah. It was, a, it was just a really lovely, special experience. And I, had my, I hadn't seen the show. I'd written the script. And then my wife had watched uh, Euphoria and said, oh, you should get Angus Cloud to be in the movie. And I wasn't even trying to get the movie made. I was just sort of writing as like part of, you know, just my day-to-day -day life and like being in advertising and kind of being frustrated. But so I, so she had read the script and told me about him. And so when I saw him, I was like, yeah, he's great. But also kind of like in this fantasy, like I'm not making this movie. And then when we went out with the script and he came back, like really in the first batch of names, the people who were interested in it, it just sort of felt like too magical. And then it was like, there was just lots of questions where, you know, cause he had, what he had done on the show was so impressive and interesting and fascinating, but he hadn't done a ton of dialogue and he hadn't done a ton on the show. So he was like this special character. So the opportunity he had, this was before season two, where he did a whole lot more, but it was just more of a question mark that I think we both had. And then we, I got a chance to talk to him and we talked about the script and just about life and stuff. And it just sort of felt like a lot of similarities, a lot of connection points. I grew up in Reno, Nevada. Like, you know, I mentioned Hawaii, but I really grew up in Reno, Nevada. And there's like that Northern California connection. Just people we knew, people we got along with, similar backgrounds, I think, and just sort of really connected on that front. And then, you know, I think from what he kind of represented to me the most, which I was most excited about was because it had been a short, I'd already kind of seen that version of it or I you know, it, writer plays a similar character or the same character name, but in the short writer strong and what it felt like with Angus was suddenly like, there could be this truthfulness to the character that I think just felt like it could really take it to another place and bring something way more real and more honest to it. Cause I think it was an elevated situation. It's a little bit, you know, it's high stakes, kind of this crazy idea that, you know, you, someone would win the lottery, be really excited about it. And someone would try and steal that ticket from them. Like it felt like having all those kind of big elements and then having someone like Angus who just sort of brings so much reality to everything that he's doing. Like he just sort of shines through and you kind of love the person that's there. And then he's also 
acting and performing on top of that. But it's sort of, you know, I guess it's just like movie star quality of a person who just sort of shines. So I was over the moon about the possibility of kind of getting in together and making this thing happen with one another. He does a phenomenal job in the film. It's just a great story. And I think it's really going to resonate with a lot of people. So the backstory is also phenomenal. I think it's probably the most inspirational story I've seen in independent film this year. Not to mention my entire Venmo friends account now is people sending each other money for lotto tickets. So I feel like the universe has conspired a bit to (laughs) highlight this film right now. Uh, Can you talk about how it went from a short to a feature? Is there anything you do differently over these 13 years? And did you originally start out making it knowing that you were going to create a feature from it? Well, I mean, I'll be honest in that I did it, I would say probably the worst way you could. Um, (laughs) I think at the other end of the day, like I feel really happy with, and just having the chance to work with Angus just makes it all feel like maybe this is how it should be. You know, so I think the truth is I had done the short and again, I'm a big fan of uh, the, you know, the, the, the format, the short form format. So, you know, the short I had made originally, I had looked like before this one was even, I just like the a short story that could take place in a really short period of time and like how to make that fun and not really like make just like a scene from another movie. And that resulted in, I think a really fun short that people really responded to, but what ended up happening is then, when it did well, I went and took a bunch of meetings and the last thing on earth I wanted to do was make a feature version of it. The short has like a pretty definitive ending for everybody. And it, I didn't want to make the same short and I didn't want to just like take an idea like Taffy pull and just try and make it longer. So, you know, I think my knee jerk was, I just didn't know if I wanted to even make it into a feature. And so I kind of took a bunch of meetings that where like a bunch of people wanted to make it into a feature and sort of said no. And that sort of just sort of ground that to a halt. And then, you know, as, as these things happen, it was still on my mind. And then like there was a, just events in the world or things that I felt like maybe in the short, I was going to hope, you know, like sociologically, I was hoping we're kind of going to be a little more passe and they weren't. And so that sort of reinvigorated it. And to bring up, like you're saying with the, uh, the Venmo thing and, the lottery, like every time there was like a big lottery win happening or like there was like a fever taking the nation, I was like, God, I really should probably work on that feature. There's something there's something there that still kind of every time I heard a big win, I was like, oh, I think it would spark something in me to like go right or to think about it. So I think 100% the wrong way to do it. And what ended up happening <laughs> is I wrote a script. <laughs> I would like, if I were to make a recommendation to anybody, I would just do what Damien Giselle did when like, have a movie and then write a short out of it. And then if that people want it, then you can just sort of jump from one to the next, but I did it the opposite way. And maybe I think it's for the best for me in terms of like learning as an artist and, you know, becoming, I think it was the right thing for me, but it definitely, if you want to make a movie right away, I would not suggest this path. Just to, I mean, that's such an amazing story. So just to clarify people approach, cause the short's amazing. People approached you to do a feature on it. And you said, nah, I, that's, that's wild. Yeah, no, I, I, I <laughs> that was wild. And I, that was not the right, I mean, I think it was the right thing. I was concerned about what that would look like, I think, and what the nature of the cast would look like. Cause there was things in the short that I felt like, and at that time in 2010, like the opposite of kind of what's happening now was sort of like this 
diversity felt like it was kind of getting whitewashed and so you would get like these you know nothing against anybody else's movie but like you know you'd have a story about egypt with christian bale and so i just didn't want to kind of have a weird pushback against what i thought the cast should look like and be you know be representative of and i think also i just it didn't feel like i didn't want to just make a feature out of it because i had made a successful short and so you know i think there just had to come i just come to an idea organically that made it makes sense to me as a movie. And that kind of the big sort of opening for me was that I thought like the guy who won should be kind of undeserving of the ticket and someone who didn't need any money. And that sort of was like the way that suddenly the rest of the movie made sense. That sort of, that was my little way I figured out how to make it into a feature. So, and then in the way I hadn't planned on making this movie too, I had actually written the script and just sort of intended thought about it but i wanted to write like a simple one location kind of feature and then what had happened i was going to do another movie in 2021 and i had left my job to do it and we were set up to shoot in austin and the funding just sort of collapsed and i would you know i've been doing advertising for a long time and so and i had already kind of planned on taking this break in work so i just sort of had the script and I talked to the casting director from that film and said, Hey, do you think we could cast this movie? And she said, yes. And we shot basically a month after that. Like I had no time. She said, you have to shoot before, like, so it was October 31st, maybe November 1st. She sort of said, if you're going to do this, you should do it before January. And so I had a little less than a month with Thanksgiving in the middle there to sort of prep the movie, cast the movie, raise some money and then go shoot. So it was just sort of like this crazy experience right there. Wow. Wow. So, you know, I expected that story to be amazing, but somehow it was even more amazing than I thought. So, so you also like it got done, like you're like, I need to film this in two months over the holidays. One of the things that had happened was early on, not even early on years ago. So in the short, uh, my mentor was a teacher who then became this sort of very prominent indie director and TV director named Lynn Shelton. And Lynn had been so supportive, but also one of the things Lynn was, was also she would, she had her TV projects and she had bigger movies going, but she would just make a movie every year. It didn't matter hell or high water. She was going to make a movie at whatever budget level. And that was something that kind of coming after I had written the script and seeing how she was just sort of continually like always working, but also like she wasn't waiting for anybody to like give her permission to go make a movie. She would just go make one. That was sort of like so big in my mind that there's just like this opportunity. It was like, I just go make it. Don't get too precious. Don't wait for the perfect moment because it's not going to come. And so right before the movie, had, had, the other movie had fallen apart. We, when we got funding, I had sort of said, oh, I think I should just go make this movie. And the producer on that film had said, no, no, maybe we can talk about that later, but this is going to happen. And then when it fell apart, it was just sort of like, yeah, just go, go try and make the small one and don't get so precious about it. Just go make. That's truly amazing. And so without giving anything away, can you talk a little bit about the story, what people can expect when they sit down to watch your lucky day? Yeah, I'll try my best. I don't want to give away that. I mean, maybe the trailer shows stuff. I think, what you can expect, I hope, is like an exciting, fun, uh, thrilling movie and something that, you know, has something to say and also is like a good time at the movies. And then 
I think it's an intense film and filled with surprises would be the goal. The basic plot is that a man is in a small convenience store. There's, you know, a group of people there that are just living their own lives. He wins the lottery and then Angus's character Sterling is in the store at the same time and he's just been robbed. And so he's in this really vulnerable place and here's someone who's kind of a jerk, win a bunch of money and sort of makes a really rash decision to sort of steal this lottery ticket. And then it's sort of, you know, one of the, I love those kinds of small stories that are like that, just how that are about kind of the morality of uh, stealing or taking for yourself uh, and how that can maybe be a corrupting influence. And, but then I hopefully looks at that from a pretty, from like a modern context and an American context of how just sort of what we see going on in the world around us and like how maybe once you have some money, you can maybe get away with crimes is sort of kind of like the crux of what happens. And, you know, people get on board and are willing to sort of go past what they thought they would in search of this sort of larger freedom from financial strife that kind of everybody feels under, I think, in a lot of ways. It's amazing. And it's probably the most philosophical thriller I've ever seen. So it releases on November 10th, and I think it goes to video on demand on November 14th. Can you talk about that decision? Yeah, that was part of the, even just sort of early days when we were trying to sell the movie, when we were looking for distributors. One of the big things was, I don't want to talk too much about film festivals, but like the whole, like when our sales agent and I had just kind of finished the movie in June, the sales agents were like, look, if you want to sell this movie, we know there's like, you can wait for next year, but if you want to sell this movie and people want to put it out at Christmas because it is a Christmas movie, then you need to give people, they need to know about it right now. So part of those conversations, we were in a fortunate position to have a few distributors interested in the film back in June. So it was just sort of like, who was going to be open to that conversation around a Christmas sort of movie, but then knowing that there's a really heavy, heavy push that we might get buried under in December. So you know, this is as close as we can kind of get to it being a Christmas movie, I think is the goal. So I'm really excited about that part of it, that we can have a Christmas film, because I think that's a really important piece in the film. So it's nice to be like kind of coming out with Christmas. And I feel like that's going to work out. It seems like it's caught fire on social media. And I think I can imagine like people sitting down, you know, on a Friday night, tuning in, having like uh, a nice fun time. It's a short runtime, an hour 29. Was there a decision on mm-hmm. that? Like, let's keep it, let's keep it moving. Yeah. I mean, I do really love, I love short movies. And I think again, with it being a, not, a, we don't go a lot of places. It's a pretty confined thriller. I think the goal to be like, hopefully as brisk as possible and like really like propulsive in that, you know, one thing's happening after another. And then there's sort of hopefully not a feeling of like, I hope that it feels like you're catching up a little bit for a while. Like I, that's the goal anyways, is to sort of like, hopefully keep it a little bit breathless, keep the intensity going and keep um, just sort of marching as fast as we can towards an end. And I also, I just sort of love movies that are at that runtime, unless, you know, you have a giant movie, I think otherwise try and be, I guess, as tight as possible. I think there's, you know, that's my personal philosophy. I just like a good short movie. Um, a lot of my favorites are quick and to the point and don't mess around that much. So I wanted to have like a fast paced, propulsive kind of story that get there quick. Completely agree with you. I can't tell you how many times, Daniel, I've sat down and I've 
asked my wife to watch an indie movie and she asked like halfway through like how much is left and i'm sort of like oh i i failed at my task of evening viewing i i'm completely with you on that yes i know the feeling we're like it feels like every, i don't know what i'm sure there's some metric that everything's based on now but like at some point everything seems like about 30 minutes longer than it should be and, and i who's to make that judgment call for anyone else but it just feels like i like a movie that moves and gets there quick and you know, maybe if it's a really big movie about um, a war or something, maybe it makes sense, but it feels like certain types of movies that you just want them to happen quick and fast. You're not having that thing. I know we were watching a movie the other night, same thing. My wife was like, how long do we have left? And we're like, oh, we're halfway through and we're an hour in. It'd be nice to be <laughs> just a little bit quick. Exactly. <laughs> So, Daniel, I know that the tools of filmmaking have democratized, but maybe the gatekeeping hasn't. There's been an ongoing debate among various directors I've had on the podcast on whether to make shorts to get an opportunity for a feature or just straight on make a low-budget feature first. Having been through that crucible, do you have any advice for anybody thinking about that question? I would say, like, so having done a few shorts, I think I struggle with this myself because I feel like doing a good short is really important. I think, I think the biggest thing, you know, if you're going to make an indie movie that gets out there and hopefully you, what you want is for people to watch your movie is you're going right. to need a cast inside of it. Generally. I know there, you know, I think there are wonderful movies that are entirely cast with unknowns, but I think being honest about like, what are, what's the reason why people might want to stop and watch your movie? I think, it's hard. I can't imagine a world where I would have been able to get the cast I got in this movie without having the short, having another short that I did, like an art film, you know, just sort of having people can, cause there's, it's really a game of trust and you don't have any money. So what you have, I mean, compared to what anybody's worth used to like working on. And so to, for them to kind of come on board and trust you, like when you're like, this is a small set, there's not a lot of money. We don't have a lot of creature comforts and sort of trying to build that trust that they believe that you're going to be able to deliver on this vision when maybe it doesn't look that convincing when you're on set. I've been on commercial sets that are more expensive than this movie by a good stretch. So like just knowing that maybe there's something about making a good calling card short that sort of says you can do the job and that will help you attract talent to help your movie along. I think, but at the other end of it is like 100% after doing just those couple of shorts, because I was working in between them, I had sort of made my mind up that I was not going to make another short. I had to make a feature because it takes so long, like a good short can take forever to do, especially if it's like a calling card short and you want people to really notice who you are as a director. I think that can, that you can just spend forever in post and trying to get the movie complete because if you have another job on top of it, you know, I've done shorts, your lucky day, the short happened pretty quickly comparatively, but I've done this art film I did took, you know, maybe two or three years in post. And it's just sort of, that's such a long time. So, and then if you're going to add a festival run on top of that, that could be another year. So you could be looking at multiple years before you can move on to the next thing. And I think, I don't know. So I would say maybe do a short that sort of says sort of like the promise of your vision and then quickly move on to trying to doing a feature, because I do think you are 100% right. The gatekeeping has not gone away. I think it's gotten actually a lot worse, I think, um, because even, you know, I think early days of platforms and stuff like when Your Lucky Day came out the short, Vimeo was around and like really, I think, getting that staff pick unexpectedly. I put the short online and, and it took off. 
but there was at least a curation site that sort of it was a gateway for people more people to watch the short and i don't know if that key you know vimeo doesn't exist in the same way like that before anymore you know what is that place that's going to like help propel your short out to people to see i think that's a tough one but i do think getting a, me a movie going out of a short is a really difficult thing so it's i it's hard i i can see why people are back and forth on it i'm back and forth on it but i would definitely <laughs> say if you're going to make another short if you've made like your great short and people loved it then go make a movie and do it at whatever price point you can to like get that on screen but and not get into like the short thing because i think you know, unfortunately, every part of my career has shown to me that like people don't think you can do the thing until you do the thing. So, you know, it's just like one of those, just unfortunately, like a little bit of, you kind of have to show that you can do it if, instead of people taking a chance on you. I think that's considerably less than it used to be. It's a very interesting answer. Would you recommend your career path in the sense that you had sort of the ability to say no, like regarding making a feature wasn't the right time for you? Whereas like, say, let's say I just made your lucky day a short, I can't pay the rent next month. So you'd be in a different position to say like, yes or no on a feature. Do you think that's helped you? Like, especially as it's tangential to filmmaking, it wasn't like you were doing like insurance sales, you were doing something that built your credibility in film that like, could, would you recommend that as sort of like having a backup sort of to what you want to go about, like in terms of making a feature? Yes and no. One of the reasons why I chose commercials as like a path for my career was you know, I came up no family connections to the industry in any way. I didn't know anybody. I didn't know how any of it worked. And, you know, I was a big Ridley Scott fan and I knew he had done a bunch of commercials. So I was like, yes, that makes sense as a business path, um, as a way to like, okay, just make a living, learn how to become a better filmmaker and then make a feature. But I think I had skipped over and I, you know, this goes to that gatekeeping thing is that famously he paid for his first movie, you know? Like, so the duelist with every, like he was, you could arguably say that Ridley Scott is the most famous commercial director of all time. And he was at that time, maybe the most famous and most well-respected and he couldn't get a movie off the ground. He had to pay for it himself. So it's like a hard, I can't say like, I would probably learn how to be, a, I would probably go to a writing school. Maybe. I don't know. I think advertising is a very different business right now than it was even when I started. And so I don't know if it has that same kind of there's sort of a financial benefit to doing it, which was I'm sure why I took on, I took on that, like, well, I don't really need to make this movie. And that was part of my changeover too, into sort of how I was looking at it. Like I wasn't approaching indie film like I would when I go for a commercial where like there's compromises, there's things, you know, you have to sort of figure out how to make it work on the budget. You're solving problems as opposed to like living in an overly idealized version of what it should be. And so like the production stuff, you know, like you learn a lot of like really great tangible skills along the way. Don't kind of do what I did, kind of don't. I would, I think learning how to do it, I think there's so many amazing tools and stuff right now. And there are these other gatekeeping things that have been shut down. And if you can find a way to sort of represent your voice in that, I think that's incredibly valuable, whatever it is, you know, like if you can figure out a way to like build your audience on TikTok and tell narrative stories with that, do that um, or do it however you want. But just be aware that I think if what you really want to do is certain things, you're going to have to sort of, unfortunately, I think you have to kind of show the proof of concept that you can do it. Awesome. So I think this is something that you're about to face, but I've been watching a bunch of 2010 indie films and there's some great ones that won Spirit Awards and others that look to be successful. They're great films, but the directors haven't worked again. 
And so assuming most directors want to work, what do you think is a driver for success nowadays in an independent feature film? Is it box office, having it go viral on social media? Doesn't seem to be the quality of the work, unfortunately. Yeah, that's a big question. I think I feel like that. I mean, I haven't made another movie, so who knows? I'm hopeful. I've got dreams. I've got plans. Much more concrete plans than I did the first time around when anyone cared about what I was doing. I think there's a little bit of, I think every director I've talked to talks about there's this, I don't want to call it imposter syndrome, but I do feel like there's a thing when you're directing and people care that where there's like definitely like you're the center of the world kind of thing that can happen. And if you let that kind of creep in, I think that can kind of change the way you're looking at what's happening around you and like how kind of fleeting that can be. You know, again, the same way, like I kind of knee jerk had sort of shot down any chance of making a feature because I just, that's not where my head was at and I didn't want to compromise. But I think there's just so many reasons why maybe things aren't catching on or why it's not easy. I think it's an incredibly difficult business. And I think, again, going just to what the Lynn Shelton model of it all was, was she was doing her TV work. And now I know not every director is lucky enough to have as much quality TV work as she had, but I think that she was just always kind of making a one movie a year that sort of was, and it didn't matter what the budget was. She would, you know, she could find the small amount of money she needed to make the kinds of movies she wanted. And I think that kind of having the, that going at the same time and sort of your, you're trying to, you want you, there's like the whole system of it all, you know, you, there's going to be managers and agents and there's going to be these big deals, but like so much stuff just sort of dies in production or in that process of them vetting the thing. And that happens all the time with advertising too, where like, there'll be like your favorite script no one will want, or your favorite script will just sort of get slowly mutated until like it doesn't work anymore. And you're kind of like, well, this isn't even what, why would anyone want to make this? And I think that most likely happens in film as well. I'm sure it does. And so my guess is probably why some of these wonderful 2010 indies, like they're just not making another movie because it's not, unless you're kind of, you want to like, I mean, to make this movie, I did the one thing I never wanted to do is I produced it. I didn't want to produce a movie ever. My head is not (laughs) built for that, but it was like, if I don't do this, it's not going to happen. So that was a big, you know, thing I had to just jump off the cliff and say, okay, I'm just going to produce it. I know enough about parts of the business and there's lots of stuff I didn't know about for, you know, as it specifically attains to like making an indie movie or dealing with SAG or dealing with some of these other contracts, which just makes my head, I just don't have the brain for it. Or you're like trying to have a creative conversation and then you have to shift over and like, be like, okay, well, what's the budget for this? Who's the person I have to email to get this other thing? What lawyer has to look at this? Like just sort of but I did it because I was like, I'm going to have to do this because if I don't, it's not going to happen. And that's a big kind of jump you have to kind of make. Wow. And you did it all over in November before Thanksgiving. So yes. it must be a bit freeing, Daniel, to have this dream come to fruition. What's next for you? Great question. I've got another movie I'm trying to get going right now called The Afterlife. It's like a genre take on suicide cult kind of thing, which I'm really excited about. Kind of dealing with a lot of stuff that I think is interesting. And I think it's, I think it's really cool. So that's what are like the main thing, but it, again, to the same point that I think I've maybe overly said is like, I'm also, I'm like, oh, I don't have a really cheap movie to make right now. I should write one. Cause I need to have, I think I should just also be trying to work on a movie that I don't need the, the genre cult movie, I think is a bigger 
it's a bigger ask in terms of budget. So I need to sort of be aware that like that could end up taking a while and maybe I need to have another movie kind of smaller and more doable and get that ready if I can. So that for me, that's sort of where my head's at, but I have another movie I'm trying to get going. I've got another script I've basically done. So it's just sort of, for me, you know, having done this kind of, it was a little different with the short, but having kind of done it before there is this, Hollywood has a short memory and they care about you for a short period. So like, I'm just trying to have as much right now, while maybe someone might care so that when that happens, it's ready to go. So that's sort of, I think, just be ready in a way that maybe, especially the first time I wasn't ready to like have someone really care about what I was doing and what the next thing I wanted to do was. So that's been really important with this. Completely. And I'm interested maybe to talk with you in a year to see like what kind of opportunity, let's say, which I believe it will, your lucky day comes a big thing and then you get a bunch of opportunities and it should be interesting to find out which direction you go. Yeah. Oh, here's here's a good piece of advice. I hate to keep going back to this, but I, I years ago, before the short, I had done, uh, do you remember that movie Grindhouse that uh, Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez did? Yeah. Yeah. They did these like fan trailers. Uh, it was just like an online I don't even know if it was like an official competition, but like people posted up their fan trailers of like their fake imaginary grindhouse movie. And I had done one called The Maiden of Death. And it was it was selected into this top three and we got to go to South by Southwest and go walk around Troublemaker Studios and we got to go to the premiere. And there's like all this great stuff that happened with that. The one that won was Hubble with a Shotgun. And, you know, that one became a feature. We lost and got no feature, but uh, <laughs> whatever. You know, I don't want to say lost, but you know what I mean? Right. What his producer had said something to me that I feel like I didn't quite really figure out until later, because in my brain, what it was, was this story that, anyway, so she said she was talking about El Mariachi to Desperado. And, and I was, I'm a fan of Robert Rodriguez, but I had never really thought about it. And the way she talked about it was like, he did El Mariachi and then got this option for Desperado. And then the movie was just sort of languishing. Like they were going through script revisions, they were doing this and doing that. And she was like, what really got it off the ground was that he went and made this other like made for TV movie called Road Racers with David Arquette. And that's what got him the next movie. That's what got him Desperado. It was like seeing that he was still working and making stuff. It wasn't, I always, my imagination had to be had done the little movie and then he got to do this bigger version of it. But instead there was actually like another middle movie that he made that kind of is forgotten, but was incredibly important for him making that shift to the next thing. So it was just like a good piece of advice that she had said in that room that I hadn't really like, now I really recognize it's like, oh, that's the thing. You just sort of go make more things and don't wait for people. He wasn't waiting for this other movie to come back from Miramax. He was just sort of keep going forward. And then that's what made Miramax make his next movie. Interesting. So this is a creators podcast. I love to promote creators and indie filmmakers who are out trying to get it done. Is there an indie film or filmmaker you'd like to highlight that maybe people haven't seen or don't know about? That's a great, I guess, because I'm such an animation buff, I'm always like, people should know more about Satoshi Kong, uh, who passed away years ago, but he did these really wonderful animated movies, Perfect Blue, Paprika, in a TV series called um, Paranoia Agent. But he was sort of, 
kind of just like one of these wonderful filmmakers who was doing really like smart thriller stuff uh, in Japan. And you could say kind of has like famous fans. Like I think Black Swan and Perfect Blue are very similar um, in terms of theme and some visuals and stuff like that. So it's just sort of people like that. I always feel like should get a spotlight. Who else? Like, uh, I'm really in love with Korean film right now in general. I don't want to like a specific, I think they do really good, interesting thrillers. And just in general, I think they do a good job with like having all the different layers of like, it could be funny, it could be scary, it could be serious. You know, like there's a tonal range there that you find in those movies that I find really exciting. I'm trying to think if there's anybody else that's coming to mind off the top of my head right now. Those are the people that like, or the types of movies right now that I'm really excited about. Fantastic, Daniel. So on November 10th, where can people see your lucky day? So the movie comes out in Alamo Draft House theaters. I don't know all of our locations yet. I know LA, New York, Chicago, San Francisco, and then I think a few places in the Midwest. Again, we're kind of moving as fast as we can. So it'll be at Alamo Draft House theaters. Check their website on the 10th, and then there's uh, you know the POV release on the 14th. I'd love for people to come watch it in the theater. I think it's a really fun theater experience. The Fantastic Fest crowd was just really wonderful with it. So I would say in a room with a group of people, I think it's really fun. Completely agree. I think it's going to be a great night out for a lot of people. Daniel, this has been such a great conversation. I thought it was going to be amazing. And then somehow the story was even better than I thought. Congratulations on bringing the film to fruition. And I think it's just going to be a great Christmas for you. Well, thank you. I hope so. Thank you so much for having me on. Thanks for listening to the First Time Go podcast. The goal is to make life a little easier for independent creators. So if you're with me for that, give the pod a five-star review wherever you download your podcasts. Early access to episodes and other subscription benefits are available on Red Circle, Patreon, and Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to be highlighted on the show, please send an email to first go pod at gmail.com and let's help creators get their first time go. Uh-huh.